0: Well, your greatest asset is yourself. And so I just believe strongly that you should always be investing in yourself, even if it's just on YouTube. Uh, I would argue that nearly every question that you have is answered somewhere on YouTube. So you could just do it that way. You could just read books, listen to podcasts and do YouTube, but you have to distill it all. There's there's a bunch of noise and you got to find the signal. What a organized mastermind or a course or an event does for you is it helps narrow down the the noise from the signal it's not to say there aren't still people out there that are just selling snake oil and you want to watch out for that for sure but um your greatest uh, personal growth that you're going to find is in kind of bouncing your scenario off of other people who are doing something similar or who have done it before you and have had success
1: you found the real estate law podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional, or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation, and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with Rory Gill from Next Home Town Real Estate and Urban Village Legal. In Boston and Rory, today, we're talking to someone who is on a mission to help thousand investors quit their day jobs and create six figure incomes and generational wealth. That sounds awesome.
3: it does. And I mean, this is certainly something we've been trying to do for ourselves. So it's great to have an expert on help shed some light on the path to creating some generational wealth for us. You've already out you're done with your w two job, but to basically move along move along that path. So Jason, could you introduce our guest for today?
2: Absolutely. We have the host of the My Freedom Foundry podcast right here. He's a number one best-selling author and a full-time real estate investor, coach, hard money lender, husband, father coming to us from the traffic riddled city of Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> uh, this is Paul David Thompson. Paul, welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks for having me. I say traffic riddled because you were all worried that you were uh, a minute late because of that, I guess, downtown Little Rock traffic that suddenly popped up today. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, makes us grin here in
0: the Northeast. Yeah, in, in the in the Northeast, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> One good vibe, well, there's been a lot of great byproducts of us moving. We physically lived in Boston for Two decades, and now we live mm-hmm. uh, in Newburyport, Mass. I'm up in New Hampshire at one of our investments, Rory's in Newburyport at the home office. There's not a ton of traffic. Like, you know, once you get north of the city, if it's not a holiday weekend or anything, like, you know, I'm just zipping all over the places. You know, you're yep. going 50 miles, you're going 50 minutes. But and in Boston, and it is not that way.
0: And you said it's Newburyport. So the name of the town you live in is Newburyport? Newburyport, yes.
2: Some people confuse it with Newport, which is in Rhode Island, which sure. some people know. And then here, Newburyport is right on the border of New Hampshire. There's uh, West Newbury, there's Newbury, and then there's okay. Newburyport.
0: Yeah. I got you. I've never been to that part of the country. I, I need to come visit you
2: guys. Come, Please come visit. It's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous town. I happen to know somebody who has a few
0: Airbnbs I can stay at.
2: Oh. Yes, you do. Yeah, although, <laughs> although it'll be a little bit of a drive back to Newburyport. But, you know, we're right on the, the mouth of the Merrimack River, which mm. is a very pretty river, a great downtown. It's a cool little town. So, uh, and I've actually never been to Little Rock. So I have to come visit. Wait, have you been to Arkansas, Rory?
3: I've never been, and apparently, um, all here doesn't work for the tourism board. Yeah, no? I, I don't.
0: I don't. <laughs> I often go to uh, conferences, and I'm only the I'm always the only person there from Arkansas, almost always. And I usually introduce myself as, "Yeah, I'm the guy from Arkansas. We we do have teeth, we do have running water, we do have electricity. It's like it's it's a real place that people live, and it's okay."
2: I did you know I have been in Arkansas I can claim that as one of my 45 states I've been to we did a a drive along the Mississippi River many many mm. years ago from Minneapolis down to New Orleans and I think we drove through like West Memphis Arkansas Yeah West Memphis pro- yeah that's
0: it's yeah. probably not the, our our best ca- calling card like it's No the, the, no the, 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 the nice parts the north northwest where you were the, that's where I used to live out there and it's it's nothing Tough. but mosquitoes and, and like it's prairie land <laughs>
2: But, you know, I have heard you speak on your podcast and other places about the investment opportunities in places like Arkansas. I mean, like, it's very different where you are versus where we are, you know, here you know, cash flowing properties could be more difficult than some places in your part of the country. You know, a lot of people rely on, you know, a full picture view of real estate where you're looking at appreciation and tax benefits and depreciation Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, you know, to kind of justify some of the investing. But yeah, I mean, so maybe that's one of the benefits of living in a place like you do. But why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about like how you have this, where you found this mission to go help Mm -hmm. 1,000 people get these six-figure incomes through real estate investing generational wealth and quitting their jobs like where'd you come up with all that
0: where did all that come from yeah so i uh, got an engineering degree from the university of arkansas in in 2000 and then i went to the corporate world uh, because that was the, like the path that's like that's what we're told to do you know it's like that was the first person in my family to get a, a four-year degree and i, I never went hungry but I, but I didn't come from wealth and so I had to kind of work my way through college. My first time getting a salary from a professional Fortune 500 company out of college, I made more that one year than my parents ever did in their entire lives in a year. I went up a couple of rungs in the socioeconomic class. It was a good thing. I definitely had some disposable income compared to the way I was raised. However, if I didn't keep going to that job, they stopped paying me. And I found myself just kind of, Trapped in this world. I mean, I I was a little depressed after I finally landed the job and got the income and kind of settled in. I was a little depressed at first. I thought, "Is this really what I'm going to be doing for the next forty years?" But I didn't really know of an alternative, and so I spent the next fifteen years working, kind of working my way into uh, the corporate world, uh, learning how to kind of climb the corporate ladder. And it wasn't an all bad life. It's it's just not bad enough to not quit for most people, and that's the way I found it to be for myself as well. And I, at one point just realized I've been hoping and dreaming and wishing for uh, creating serious wealth or having my own business where I'm the guy kind of figuring things out. And I just was afraid of the, of failing. I was afraid of what I might uh, trip and fall. And I just finally decided I'm going to do something different. Kind of had this like wake up call moment where I realized I was a wage slave and I didn't if I quit my job or my, my job quit me, which I ended up doing a few years later, that I was a single income uh, household, that I was extremely vulnerable. So I needed to r- learn how to exchange my money for time instead of my time for money. And that was a big realization for me. But I didn't know how to do that. And so I had I, I tried real estate. That was my way at first to just, to just buy a rental property. Uh, in 2015, I bought my first one, and that was like a $30,000 Purchase like those, you know, even now that'd be hard to find here, mm-hmm. but five, eight years ago at this time, it was, you, know, you could find a few properties like that. And it rented for like six fifty. is a two bedroom, one bath in a classy neighborhood. And I still have it to the state. And I learned that the burr method worked and I was like, okay, so I can buy private money, hard money, refi it, you know, get a re- get it fixed up, rent it, refi it, get all my cash back and do it again. And so I did that for like the next two years. I just, I bought 20 plus properties, um, about one a month on average. And that was my kind of like launching pad to realizing that this real estate thing can work. Now I'm trying to figure out how to scale.
2: Mm -hmm. Were you doing that while you were still working your W2 job or was there a clean break point between the two?
0: Uh, there ended up being a cl- clean break point uh, two years into it because I was laid off, but mm-hmm. uh, going into it, I, I was doing this on the side. So I would spend between four and 10 hours of a week uh, looking for and managing properties and i was i was learning what it took to be a landlord and kind of what made sense and i think the first 8 or 10 i bought through a wholesaler and then i realized that if i really wanted to scale this i needed to control the deals myself and so i started learning the the practice of marketing and getting direct to sell contracts and figuring out how to do mm-hmm. wholesaling myself and then ha- and uh, i bought a fair amount of them myself and that was my kind of launching point to okay well i need to replace my earned income with another business that creates earned income and then i can buy real estate on the side
2: mm-hmm. Rory, this story sounds so similar to <laughs> something that we've been working uh, through right now. And I love uh, one term that you just said, Paul, when, you know, clear, if you were laid off, you mentioned, you know, if your job quits you, you know, when my job quit me, I'm like, I've never heard it talked about that way. But, you mm-hmm. know, that's a great way to position it. And, you know, there's no shame in layoffs and stuff. I mean, like, you know, last year, I was told that my job has ended, you know, almost uh, at this point point by the time this comes out it'll be just over a year yeah. and we were already transitioning away from it anyway i mean like we've been doing, investing since 2016 so you know it was a this was going to be the next chapter anyway. And just like you, you know, you kind of look and say, geez, do I want to do this for the next, you know, X number of years? Sure. I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now are probably in that position. They might be listening in their car or on their break at work and saying, yeah, I want to get out. Um, yeah, maybe I have that first property and I'm looking to make that transition that people like Paul and Jason and Rory did. Uh, or maybe I'm looking for that first property so I could start to make that transition. Rory, this story just rings so true, doesn't it?
3: It does. And I mean, this overlap period also seems to be incredibly valuable when you have kind of the clean W-2 income that lenders like to see still is a steady stream of income that doesn't need to be replaced overnight. That transitional period, I think, is very valuable to a lot of people, whether it's six months or 10 years. That transitional mm-hmm. period, I think, is key.
0: It makes you bankable. Like when you have that, that steady W-2 income, you're super bankable, assuming you have good credit. And so you have the steady income and banks like that. And I think it's. It should be everybody who's listening to this should be a race to figure out how you can learn how to live off your investment income and not have to rely on your W-2 income. You can still have a W-2 income for as long as you like and you may enjoy your, uh, your work and but that's great. But to rely on the income from your one source of income is I think one of the biggest mistakes that we all make. And it's the lesson we've, we've been taught is to go and get that income and that's what you live off of. And then you stretch it for as far as you can and you extend yourself And then you're extremely vulnerable to uh, an employer who doesn't need you nearly as much as you need them. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you said you worked a corporate job for 15 Mm -hmm. years. Is that right? I
0: did, or 17 total, but 15 when I started. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you have a master's degree?
0: Uh, I guess I do. Yeah.
2: You're on the path that lots of people are in their heads think they have to be on, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we've all been taught. You go to college, maybe you get an advanced degree, you work corporate or you work some profession for a long time, Mm -hmm. you work your way up in that and you work toward retirement. And I know that there's a lot and, you know you and I probably see the same you know accounts on social media we're watching the same videos where we're all talking about diversifying income having multiple streams of income financial independence mm-hmm. you know this is nothing new that I'm telling you I'm sure because you teach lots of people how to do this but you know this is not taught in school it's not taught in graduate school what's taught is how to go get a job and when you work for a job an employer is not going to teach you this either because the employer wants you to work for them like why would sure. they? teach you this, you know, so it's so easy to kind of just fall into the machine and there was nothing wrong with it. I worked for 27 years after I graduated college, you know, the vast, vast majority of those 25 of them, I think were for corporations and you just kind of do it. And next thing you know, the machine spits you out, right? You know, they're done Mm -hmm. with you and you can find another machine or you can find your own way. So now you're working with people who are coming to you looking for advice. You want to s- solve the issues of a thousand people out there and get them financially independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that transition go about? Cause you went from being an investor to somebody mm-hmm. that now wants to teach other people and explain this to folks.
0: I don't know what it is about me, but it's a, a characteristic that I've always had that um, as soon as I learn something, I think it's a good idea. I have to share it and it's not necessarily I think it's part of the way I internalize lessons, you know, to teach is to learn twice. And so I just have naturally done that from very early and I just can't help myself. And so when you're like that, you end up attracting people who have questions and who are curious. And at first that was nowhere intended to be any sort of a business for me at all. It was just, it was, you know, you, you take some people on your wing, you tell them what you know, and because a few people do that t- to me, so you kind of pay it forward. And then you find yourself answering the same questions over and over again and seeing the same challenges over and over again. And you realize it's really kind of an epidemic that we have in our country and the way earn and the way we work now has, is changing in our like default answer, our default advice to do so. Is broken like the old method of you know going you know working hard, going to college, getting a job, and just hoping that you're going to work there for forty years and retire with a gold watch. Terribly outmoded strategy, but that's still what we're being taught to do. Mm -hmm. Now people move and hop around between jobs a a ton. Like we're working from home more and more. The obviously the pandemic helped speed that up. I think this idea of working for a company is. Going to continue to phase out. We're, we're going to move towards 30, 40 years over time. We're going to move towards the way Hollywood does things, which is they they have contract labor. So mm-hmm. we're we're moving towards the gig economy. But even beyond that, we're, everything. If you're an engineer, if you're a you know a coder or, or you know a dentist, even uh, you're going to be a contract laborer. Where you say I have this this project I want to work on. I have these skills I have, and I'm going to work for a while, and then I'm going to like decide to end, end my contract the way nurses do. Occasionally, I think that's the way a lot of things are moving towards. So we need to be working on those skills in parallel. We need to do those that work because we enjoy doing that work and then have other things that make money for us. Mm -hmm. And that way our our work isn't just to a means to an end. It's a exercise in fulfillment and purpose. And we have a lot more uh, like we have our own personal economy. And that's something that I'm trying to share. Now I think this is the direction that the world is heading towards anyway. And we all need to kind of wake up to that call that that's what we need to start building for ourselves. Even if we
3: weren't talking about leaving full-time employment into financial independence, even if we're just having a podcast on how to best maximize your W-2 employment, there would be that the idea that moving from place to place, assignment to assignment is actually the best way to build your professional ca- career as well, Absolutely. regardless of your investments or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the loyalty to a singular customer or a single company or project Is what is going to hold you
0: back. Right. I remember hearing people saying oh well, you know i worked for this company which i actually quite liked for for one of my favorite jobs i worked for altel wireless for two years and i remember hearing someone saying it's like well I, you know i have this loyalty to this company it's like i love this company and i hope i get to work here for a long time but they have no loyalty to you like you are a a, a number on, on a spreadsheet someplace ultimately once you go i mean i've gone up the corporate ladder and i've been that guy in the director seat in the vpc l- looking at spreadsheets saying who do we have to let go because we've been told to from from on high And relationships matter a little bit then, but eventually the cold equations just kind of smack you across the face. You got to make some really hard decisions. You know your life and their livelihood. And that is not a good environment to live in. I have found that working in much smaller companies where you're treated much more like a human is a much better way to try and design your life around your work so that your work and the people you're interacting with are other human relationships versus just like this cold equation. Yeah. I just, I, I, corporations, uh, you know, probably have their place, but I have found that I, I don't fit well into them.
2: So with your investing right now, I mean, you're working on a number of different projects at the same time. Do you have a team behind
0: you? Yeah, it's yeah. small. So I have a couple of business partners. I tend to partner with people on projects because I've kind of gone into the commercial space now. And mm. these projects are just too large for me to take down by, my, by myself. So I have a business partner that lives in Dallas, Texas. And then we do projects there where we develop multifamily assets in mm-hmm. the greater Dallas area. And And I have, you know, like we hire contractor type labor, which is like a, a professional engineer. And they work with us on that project, or we hire an architect. And so I have, I do have a, a, a fractional COO that works with me. And I have a couple of VAs that, that I work with full-time that help me do the social media and, you know, uh, executive assistant type stuff, but it's a very a lean operation. And technically speaking, I don't have employees, everybody that, that works for me, so to speak is this contract style uh, work scenario.
2: Yeah. So we're recording this before the event that you're putting on, which is Lead Life by Design. Um, so by the time this comes out, that will have been a smashing success. Right. Talk about that. So what motivated you to put on um, an event like this and bring together students of yours and others who are considering learning about how to actually change their lives and set themselves up with some generational wealth?
0: I really like community. And I remember when I started my investment career, learning about real estate investing and being a business owner, I went to several conferences and they were very inspirational to me. And the, the kinds that I liked the most were the ones that were a little bit smaller and they were at somebody's ranch or they were at, um, they were more of a retreat slash workshop than they were a conference. And so I really got to know people and I'm naturally an introvert. I don't, I'm not the life of the room. When someone, when I walk into a big a room of a thousand people, like I, I tend to disappear as a wallflower. So I like to create spaces where I feel comfortable and I tend to attract people who are like me when I do that. And so we have small retreat style events where we analyze people's uh, business models, so, uh, typically real estate related, but business models. And we try and really create a mental model around what they're trying to accomplish, which the desired outcome is. And so that they're, they're balancing life and business and they're creating a business that feeds their life versus the other way around. And we end the the weekend with everybody having a personalized action plan based on a mastermind type f- format where we like say, Hey, Rory, you, uh, you have a, um, a practice, like what are your goals with your practice and what, what, you know, what are you doing with marketing? What kind of challenges do you have and where do you want to go with, go with your practice? And that would be something that we kind of mastermind about and try and optimize your, scenario and what kind of opportunities or challenges do you have. And then you leave there with this little book that says, this is my plan. This is what I agreed to. And then we follow up with you for the next 90 days saying, well, you made these commitments. Have you created a lifestyle and a design of a day that has would feed what you just said you wanted to outcome with.
2: Mm-hmm. Paul, let's talk a little bit about, um, education later on in your life, like career changers that want to get involved with people like yourself that have masterminds and conferences, mm-hmm. um, because, again, people are listening to this saying, you know, I, I think I need a community, like you've described, or I think I need coaching on on that level. Like, I'm tired of just watching the free videos on YouTube and sure. finding all this noise out there. Uh, that That's a conclusion I came to last year when I joined really? a mastermind. Yeah, I joined a um, STR Secrets mastermind. So it's a short-term rental mastermind mm-hmm. that... Um, I joined last August and it's been great to get to know that community of people learn from them, how they operate their businesses. I've been to a number of events that either they've co-sponsored or been there. Um, and it's been worth every penny. Um, but people are probably saying, you know, you get nervous when you want to invest money, right? Like, you know, later, especially later in life, it's not traditional education. It's not going to Harvard or going to a community college. It's, you know, meeting a guy, you know, online that you've watched a number of this person's videos. And then, you know, it's, hey, let's join this mastermind together. And, you know, you have everything kind of spelled out clearly on your website, pricing, what you get and all that. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in the mindset of, and maybe you've been there too, because maybe you've been in masterminds yourself oh, yeah. um, or are in them. Put yourself in the mindset of someone that's considering making a transition like this, maybe needs this kind of community, is nervous about you know, cutting a check to somebody every single month in a Mm -hmm. group like this. Like, what do you say to those types of folks?
0: Well, your greatest asset is yourself. And so I just believe strongly that you should always be investing in yourself, even if it's just on YouTube. Uh, I would argue that nearly every question that you have is answered somewhere on YouTube. So you could just do it that way. You could just read books, listen to podcasts and do YouTube, but you have to distill it all. There's there's a bunch of noise and you got to find the signal. What a organized mastermind or a course or an event does for you is it helps Narrow down the the noise from the signal. It's not to say there aren't still people out there that are just selling snake oil. You want to watch out for that for sure. But um, your greatest uh, personal growth that you're going to find is in kind of bouncing your scenario off of other people who are doing something similar or who have done it before you and have had success and Mm -hmm. success leaves clues. And some people are are run businesses around sharing that information and helping you accomplish that. And so you want to be uh, shrewd and discerning with, with those investments. Like you just want to just throw money at people. Uh, That's one of the, I, I used to run courses and I just don't do courses anymore because I kept feeling like people were just feeling like they were going to get the benefit by just swiping their credit card. And, you know, like 15% of people would actually finish the course. You know, it's like, that's not rewarding to me at all. I'm much more interested in having a much more meaningful uh, relationships with fewer people than having a whole bunch of really light transactions with uh, with a lot of people. That's my personal value. Selfishly, that's where I get the most uh, satisfaction out of the process. Because I like to see the light bulb go off people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for anybody who's considering that your instincts are usually pretty good. If someone is giving you the, the skeevy feel, then they're probably not the right person. And there are a lot of choices out there. So Mm -hmm. if, if you're on the fence, um, find other people, ask for other people who are in the mastermind. And anybody who's any good at running a mastermind or a course or an event or whatever will have testimonials and referrals that you can ask about. And you can can talk to somebody else who's already paid for it. It's like, okay, what was your experience? What's the pros and cons? And every one of these programs have have some opportunity for improvement. And it's interesting to hear what other people say those things are.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, here's my calculus. Uh, as to what I did, actually. And uh-huh. I share this because hopefully people are listening, saying this is calculus that they should make as well. Sure. I said um, it, it was easier for us. Like, you know, again, I'd worked for Rory's younger than me, but, you know, i have worked for 27 years. Rory's been out of law school for what, 10? Right. 12. 12? Oh, 12. Time flies. You know, we had money saved up in some assets and we had some money coming in from some real estate investments. So, you know, it was kind of probably easier said than done because sometimes if you lose your job, you're like, well, I should stop spending money instead of go all in and start spending money. Yeah. Right. But, you know, later on in life, like I am like, you know, in my forties, I said, I'm going to go all in for the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to do whatever that means, betting on myself. I'm going to do mm-hmm. some quick vetting of things. And Rory knows that, you know, I'm the first to pour over a decision in the grocery store aisle, but I make very quick decisions when they're really big. Yep. Like, I didn't even tell Rory when I joined the mastermind. I was a little nervous what he'd say. Did I tell you or no?
3: You, you told me shortly thereafter, like, I yeah. did this. And then, yeah. then you kind of – you got you were really timid about the – the price tag of it for a while. Yeah, but you know, I, I handled the accounting for the businesses, so I eventually, I eventually saw it. Right, right, right. So it was like the, you know, I joined the mastermind.
2: I decided to go to their small event in Miami uh, as well. It was a hundred person event. Signed up for the bigger, Pocket, bigger pockets conference last year, which was a massive event. What and you, I have, Jim? I have opinions of of what I got out of both of those. Uh, and then I went to a STR specific event this year that was a thousand person event. The hundred person event was the best. Like, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm actually not in, I'm an extrovert, I think. Hmm. Um, you're an introvert, Rory's an introvert. But I like learning from smaller groups of people too. Like, hmm. I like that smaller, or more meaningful group than a conference the size of bigger pockets because I just got swallowed up of that thing. Time. Right. Um, I did have a couple really, really important takeaways from that conference that we acted on and it made us a lot of money, which is good. But um, I felt like I had more meaningful relationships with people from the smaller conferences and from the mastermind. And that bet that I made on myself, I said, I'm going to give this 12 to 18 months. And I'm going to say, you know, if I give it my all in this period of time where I'm transitioning uh, away from a W2 job and focusing full-time on the real estate investing, I'm going to look at it. The worst thing that's going to happen is I lost a little bit of money, met a couple people, you know, like I'll always make some more. I could always go back into the job, but you know, again, that's an easier thing to say than some people that maybe have kids in college or other yeah. big expenses where they don't have other dollar amounts. Um, you know, they don't have any dollars coming in. So I'm sensitive to that, but we were just in that position where I could make those bets and boy, they were the right bets. They just were, I mean, and Not everyone is able to say that, but if you are considering a mastermind, maybe they're considering Paul's mastermind, you know, like, you know, vet the person, you know, vet the community a little bit, but like, take a risk is what I say. Like, just go for it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're out some money. And there's no shame in that. It happens, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, I think a lot of these masterminds that are out there right now have some really good value, Um you know, you're, you're learning from the community of people that are like-minded. You're getting access to resources, videos that are recorded for you, courses that are there, downloadable things that, mm-hmm. you know, are stamp approval from the person that put it together. I don't know. It's just, it's been, I think it's been a really good experience. I, I hope your students kind of feel that same way or those are the types of students that you get in your mastermind. Mm-hmm. Um but to talk a little bit about about that mastermind. You know, I'd love to learn about what it's like to be a part of Next Level Mastermind. You know, explain that a little bit to people who are listening to this podcast. Um, you know, not as a sales pitch for the mastermind, but just like the type of investment that somebody might get if they're investing in themselves.
0: Sure. So m- my mastermind the, uh, was based off of one that I joined very shortly after I joined, or I, I, my job quit me. Um, so I was like, okay, I, I'm going to go. But basically I need to become a marketer. You know, I, I needed to you know, like create my own uh, active income, uh, my own business. And so I joined uh, a mastermind, uh, not about real estate, but about how to be a, basically a solopreneur or a small entrepreneur. And the format of that is what I have stolen almost directly uh, into what I do now. And as we meet weekly and it's, uh, you know, no more than 12 people. Uh, and we meet in a zoom call very much like what we're recording here. And it's like, Hey, Rory, let's say it's what your win of the week, uh, Jason, what's your win of the week? And we go around the horn, you know, like the first 10, 15 minutes of the meeting is like, what's, when's the week build momentum, what's happened good in your life. Uh, and then I ask who has active questions, who has opportunities, who has something they want to cover, who, who, who wants the attention of the mastermind today uh, for the next 10, 15 minutes to help work on a problem that you have right now. Mm-hmm. And so I facilitate and manage like who gets to just talk and like making sure we're not talking to each other, that sort of thing. When you get the right people in there, it, that happens very naturally and we get to become very good friends. And then that's one of the reasons why I host an a in-person event a couple of times a year is so we can reinforce those relationships. We get to meet in person. And it's like the best friends of my life now are people who are in that mastermind and have been for several years. Mm-hmm. And, and so we meet on a weekly basis and, and that's the extent of it. And then so all the resources, all the we have a Slack channel so we, people can ask questions, but it's, um, there's not like I, I pour, I create a bunch of material for you. It's, it's more like, let's work on something right now that you're having trouble with. And it's like, Oh, I'm working with this, this abatement problem in New York. And they're, they're a horrible do- to, to deal with. Or, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about my wife's not on board with what I'm doing and it's just you know, like, it's like I'm stressing the family out because I'm trying to do two things at once. I'm, I'm still working and I'm still uh, running this whole small business. And so we, there's nothing really off the table, but it tends to be business related. And about once a month, we naturally end up going into some sort of like meta meta type conversation where it's just like, like, what's the purpose of life? Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and we were kind of we're re- recalibrating uh why we're doing all this crazy stuff it is to be an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah. Rory, that's a theme about mindset it keeps coming up on this podcast, doesn't it?
3: For those who are listening who trying to get into the the weeds and the tactics, that's not really where the the big changes come. I mean that that follows and that's important, but that's yeah. not the uh that the focus of it. Um with that, can I actually ask a tactical question? Sure getting into the weeds. So, you know, you mentioned that you kind of came of age in the real estate space in the 2010s, uh, which I think was the golden age of burrs. It was. Um, yeah. the, things have kind of shifted a little bit. I mean, rates are higher. Much um, higher. The inventory is tighter. Um, you know, so I, I feel like the golden age, at least for burrs, has come to a close. What are you coaching your students to focus on now? Um, and what are you working on now um, to build your real estate portfolio?
0: Fundamentally, whether it's a bur or another strategy, is as a real estate investor, you want to capture value. You want to buy with inherent discounts. Um, there are certainly uh, institutional type money that doesn't do that, but that's not the angle that we're, we're not sitting on institutional money. We're we're sitting with our uh, earned incomes, and we're, we we've cobbled together some cash, and we have some credit, and we combine those two things to create a capital stack. That's very simple, and so round numbers, whether it's a million dollar house or a hundred thousand dollar house. You want to buy that thing for at least 20% from the value and preferably more. I used to say like buy it at 50 or 60% of the value. it's really hard to do now. So now we're, I'm looking at trying to buy things at 70% of, of the value and then force some appreciation with some rehab or a value add in the multifamily space. And that's fundamentally what I think small entrepreneurs can do because we're nimble. It's an imperfect market inside trader and in, in, inside trading in real estate, unless you have job that keeps you from doing it is is perfectly legal. And so look where the the development's happening in the market that you're interested in. And you're looking for where there's a demographic change that's that's in your favor, uh, you're looking for uh, where there's going to be the, the new transit line coming through. There's there's a growth in in train traffic actually in the U.S. in the next twenty years. Uh, you're trying to find those 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 announcements, or where there's going to be an expansion like in Houston. There's going to be a third uh, circle built around Houston, right? A, a third loop. Well, that's public knowledge. Go and find that, and find land around that, and and buy or develop in the path of progress. These are all things that we should be looking for. And I would agree that the the golden years of the Burr method have passed, but it doesn't mean the Burr method can't still work. The, there's a new or uh, not new really, but there's a, a another loan product called a DSCR loan that is now on parity with commercial loans. And and a lot of people use commercial loans after they get past their initial allocation of of loan of loans of say, you know, five, 10, 12 Fannie Mae type products, uh, then they scale They, 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 they to, uh, to switch over to commercial loans. And commercial loans are one of the riskiest things that we do as, a, as an investor, and we never think about it. And you, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, but these are uh, uh, on-demand loans that, that, that can be called on you at any time, for any reason, without any justification. Um, those things make me super nervous, but I have a lot of them still because it was the next best rate available. Well, now in today's market, the next best rate available is either commercial loans or the DSCR loan products that have, tend to have like a 30 year amortization schedule and they have similar interest rates and they're fixed rates for the entire 30 years. So I'm leaning more towards the DSCR loans when they make sense than going to local commercial banks to get commercial loans. Yep, we got two of those. DSCR, are you publicly stating who the lender is? The
2: first one, who would you use, Rory, for that one? Post Financial. Post Financial, and the the second one we did with the lender, yeah, the, the lender,
0: yeah. And I, I've um, shopped uh, around, uh, and I think every time I shop, my answer changes on which one I, I prefer. Um, but I think they're the, the only caveat I can find of them is that their uh, initial cost is a little bit expensive, like their 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 points are a little high uh, mm-hmm. compared to a commercial loan, uh, and they have a like a five, four, three, two, one step down prepayment penalty. But I'm a long term investor, so I'm not really stressed about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll say that our loan we did with the lender does not have the step down. It has a five-year
0: repayment penalty. So it's a little Period. Tough. So if, oh, if yeah, you period. sell it at all within five years, you're, you're paying the penalty. Yeah. yeah,
2: Or refinance it. And it's, I mean, like that loan is, that was a, let's roll the dice. Like we're, we're in it to actually do stuff and we had yeah. money to invest for a down payment. That was the other property I just came from today. You know, like we'll pay that one off for four more years before we could refinance it. I mean, if we are going to refinance it before, it would have to be extremely favorable terms, you know, to, be right. able to pay that prepayment penalty as well. Because, you know, it's a percentage of the loan, which is uh, a big loan. So mm-hmm. we'll see, but we were confident in the numbers with that property that we decided to go forward with it. Um, And if we were wrong, then we we're wrong. You know, we've been right about everything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, if I don't bat a thousand fully, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it's not like the, the way we saw it was, it's not like we're going to make nothing with the property, right? Like, let's hope we make what we thought we're going to make, you know, on, on paper. And if we don't make that, maybe we'll make 80% of it. Okay. That's not zero, right? right. It's still 80%. And there were a couple of things that we were able to do with that property. Like it's, you know, gone up in value. We had a full house of brand new furniture. Uh, we did a cost segregation analysis on that one. So we mm-hmm. took a ton of depreciation yeah. from that to offset some some other things that were on our tax return. So, you know, like there's other things that that property, I think, have truly helped us. And, and none of those things are things that I really even knew about before I left my job. You know, it's like, that's the kind of stuff that... Yeah. If you really dig into it and think and invest and talk to people and you find other people that have done these things, then maybe you'll go ahead and do it as well. But like we weren't doing cost aggregations. We weren't doing DSCR loans. We had one commercial loan before I left my job. You know, it's like we had time to think about it now. So that's why we have been pursuing these other loan products. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where we're going to be swimming around these days, you know, without W-2. But that's fine.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are levels of this game. And when we first start off, you know, we're we're not even playing the game at all. We're just, you know, working for a company. But then we used to we get into it. And at first we're just playing checkers. Like well, like Mm -hmm. we we just know the like blocking and tackling, the the basic stuff here. But then you're like, okay, I've learned some chess moves. And then when you really get into it and you join masterminds and you see people doing really sophisticated things, you realize, oh, there's like a whole nother dimension. There's like three-dimensional chess that I just didn't even Mm -hmm. see before. And that's some of the things that you were mentioning. And that's, I think, some of the benefits of going to conferences or retreats or uh, really Mm -hmm. diving into this world is that there are a whole lot of levers to pull that most people aren't even aware of. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And then you meet people that have pulled those levers successfully and then you get more confidence that you could pull those levers. I mean, you know, a friend of Rory's and mine, you know, messaged me a couple of weeks ago online and was like, I have a question for you. How are you able to get all these properties? (laughs) Like literally just a big kind of blanket Mm -hmm. statement. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't fault that person at all for even asking that question. It's a great question to ask a lot of people that I probably interact with outside of the real estate world probably have that same exact question because they haven't Mm -hmm. dug into it. Like all of us have. And you know, one of the great beauties of working with people like yourself, Paul, or us, or our masterminds, or other people that we trust in this industry is that, you know, if you find the people that that know what they're doing, they've done it before you and that want to teach you how to do it, which is a lot of people, frankly. I mean, people in this world, they they they're very giving with information, you know, digest it, process it, and then figure out if it's right for you. And, you know, it's not like we're doing anything that is that has never been done before. You know, Rory and I are not breaking new ground. You might not be breaking new ground, Paul. I'm, I'm like not.
0: Right. Well, technically, I guess I am because I'm I'm developing. But your your, your, yeah. your point your point is made. <laughs> um, I'm not doing anything new or different. Like the, that, that's what I like about real estate is that it's yeah. a simple business. I mean, it's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. Like it's the easiest business in the world to understand. Like you have a have a, you have a square or rectangular plate and you rent it to people. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the extent of it.
2: I guess technically we are breaking new ground too, because I, we just built this house that I'm recording. There you
0: go. Yeah. So, you yeah, so we're, look at you. We're all breaking ground. Groundbreakers. Um, look at us.
2: L- let's, uh, Paul, let's get to our final few questions that we ask of all of our guests in the podcast. And then you could tell everybody where they can reach out to you, which we'll link up into in the show notes. Uh, three last questions, just to get to know you a little bit better and to wrap things up. They're not gotcha questions. I promise. They're simple.
0: The zingers, uh, you're going to get me, aren't you?
2: No zingers. Not going to get <laughs> you, No. First question, uh, if you get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, Mm -hmm. what would that be?
0: It's usually some sort of lifestyle uh, change. It's this uh, concept that I would refer to as the wake-up call that uh, you believe that you have a certain thing that you believe, like you have this framework, this mental model of life, and that one day, sometime along along your life, everybody will have a wake-up call where... Oh, I was wrong. Like I, I've been really treating my, bod, my my body badly, and I'm I'm about to have a heart attack. That, that that's a wake up call. Oh, I should have been eating vegetables all this time. Dang it. Um, we also have that with in our financial worlds and in various gardens of our lives. We have just these new pieces of information that come at us. And for me, it was, oh, dang it. Like I've been following the wrong piece of advice and i never like made it a point to buy equity i was always helping somebody else build equity and i was just taking a salary for it
2: yeah worry we got to work dang it into our conversations like that's not a northeastern thing we don't say dang it, it dang it no no it's such, a po- such well i'll say y'all but like it's such a polite way to curse right there
0: yeah well you, you never know on these uh, uh podcasts what how what what your rating is so i try i keep it pg until you tell me otherwise <laughs> yeah,
2: okay good. we'll stick with pg that's fine second question tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today
0: the way that i'm working today yeah some, some um, so change for me, that happened or a lesson a change, that happened? Or yeah. Something. Um, for me, it was this, uh, I keep referring to it, but it was this, this moment in my life where I was on a, a beach vacation with my family and I wanted to extend a vacation. I had the time. My wife doesn't work. My kids were out of school for the, for the summer. And I called my boss up and said, you know, I, I'm just going to work from here next week. And then I'll come back in you know, two weeks in the office. And I worked for an ISP at the time, like an internet service provider. Mm-hmm. Like we helped make the technology of this video conferencing thing work. And at the time in 2015, they're like, nope, we wouldn't do that here. I expect you in the office eight o'clock and it's hung up on me. Like oh damn what can I do but just go back to work with my tail between my legs and okay. and I, I was like that I'm the most thankful for that because that made that helped me realize that I was extremely vulnerable I was not nearly as as important or uh, um uh, a critical machine uh, a cog in the machine as I realized as I thought and I was like, you know what okay thank you like that that was the wake up call that I needed to. Uh, tell me that I needed to create something for myself where I was in control. And from then forward, I always ask my family if I have permission to go work versus asking my work to spend time with my family. That's brilliant
2: right there. That last statement. I mean, think about the other thing that you learned when they hung up on you and said, be here at eight o'clock in the morning is that, you know, you're not in control of your life. Like Mm -hmm. you took your days off and that was it. But they're like, get back in here. When you, you, you know, not even have financial freedom, but when you are your own boss, when you're earning money to pay your bills, you know, you can kind of dictate your hours and your terms if you want to. So, you know, that's one thing that I've learned also. Like if I want to, I I could never have done what I've done still working over the past year with all these Mm. new investments. You know, one thing I'm working on now is, is offloading some of the things that I can get somebody else to do. Um, You know, not just a contractor on site, but, you know, some virtual assistants, Mm -hmm. um, which is the working, you know, on the business, not for it. Like I've been perfectly content having a year of being busy doing stuff, but you're just being busy doing stuff. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, growing, growing the big thing. Um, But heck, if I wanted
0: to come record from here today, like. I'm allowed to do it now. Why not? And you didn't have to ask permission to do it. You just said, Hey, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And I just got to make sure I bring my microphone with me. Right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Place isn't rented out. Like I had it blocked off. I had to do something here. So here I am. Perfect. Final question. Tell us something that you're listening to or watching or reading these days.
0: I just got through listening or reading the book, the comfort crisis. Have you guys heard of this book? Uh, It's by Michael Easter. Um, Really good book. Uh, It's this, the, 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 concept of the book is that we live in these uh, very carefully curated, uh, comfort, uh, climate controlled rooms. And we're always at 72 degrees and we never push our boundaries. And, and it doesn't have to be something like physical, but there's this concept of doing something physically challenging for yourself and your body starts start telling you that, you know, you're, you're done. And It's really your mind telling you that you're done. Your body has the capacity to go much, much further. And it's a really well written book. And he he basically goes to Alaska to hunt caribou and he weaves this in through the entire book while he's like dropping, like, like you guys do, you have this interesting sizzle of podcast, but then you drop some law nuggets in here where he was dropping some nuggets along the way as he was crafting the story. It's very well done.
2: Yeah. We'll have to check that one out. I don't know that one, but, um, I, a friend of mine, my
0: mastermind recommended it to me and yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And I couldn't put it down. Rory, I don't think we dropped any law nuggets in this podcast. Is that okay? I think we're going to be okay.
2: Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll squeeze
0: some yeah. in at the end in the bloopers if we have to.
2: <laughs> no, that's fine. We don't always have to talk about law. Um, so Paul, where can people learn about you if they want to reach out to you? Um, say hi, join a mastermind, come to your event,
0: uh, or just kind of pick your brain. You bet. So the best place to find me is my website, Uh It's spelled the way you would expect those names to be spelled. I think I was telling you guys that the early part of this is I, I, I typically go by Paul, but I have a common name, so I have to use all three of them to get unique. Uh, somebody beat me to Paul Thompson many, many years ago, and I'm mm-hmm. cursed today still. Yeah. I have a very uncommon
2: name, Jason Youth. However, there is another one of me that is in real estate. Uh, and they scooped and- you. No, I scooped him, Um, although I called him a couple weeks ago. (laughs) That's a whole other story. But I was getting messages sent to an email address that seemed important to him. And I think that for some reason, Jason.muth at Gmail and Jason Muth at Gmail come to the same address. And I I think that they were erroneously sending them to him. And I'm like, I know who this person is. He doesn't know who I am, but I know they're trying to get a hold of him. Like, let me go hunt him down and forward these emails to him. So I called him and explained who I was. And we had a laugh together. Uh, And then some more emails from a different person started coming to me for him. So I started forwarding them to him. So I'm basically basically now forwarding him my You're not his assistant. No, I'm his <laughs> assistant yes my namesake but with my uncommon name but um Rory has a relatively uncommon name um but where can people find you
3: um you can find me through my real estate brokerage that's next home title town next home or my law practice urban village legal urbanvillagelegal.com and actually if you go to Rorygill.com that will forward you to my stuff as well
2: yes because you bought your name I sure did. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, Jason at nexthometitletown.com, uh will get you to me. If you want to be on the podcast, you have questions for me, for Paul, for Rory. Uh, if you go to jasonmuth.com I don't think I had that redirecting anywhere, but I do own it once again, even after I lost access to that address because I forgot to renew it and somebody it. on yeah. it. <laughs> but then I kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and I put reminders in my calendar, and sure enough, when it expired, I snapped it back up. But don't go there because you won't find me. Email me instead. Um, hey, Paul, this has been a pleasure of a conversation. Um, again, we we wish you the best with the event that you're putting on, even though by the time this comes out, it'll have been a smashing success. It'll be in the past. The it'll be I in think. the past. Yes. It's one of those weird time matrix things. Um, but thanks again. We'll have to catch up with you uh, in the future and see how things are doing with you and your students. Uh, Follow you on social media. Listen
0: to the podcast also. What's the name of the podcast again? Well, Here's- it's funny. I have just rebranded. from my freedom foundry to the wake up call Uh, the the wake up call all right there it is okay
2: so uh it's but if you subscribe to my freedom foundry you're probably now subscribing to my wake up call right okay got it all right uh that's another great episode of the real estate podcast we really appreciate the fact that you listened if you've enjoyed this episode please give us a great five-star review uh or just drop a comment in uh the comment field and we will read those and respond on behalf of paul and rory thank you Thanks for having me, guys.
1: This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Titletown, greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com urban village legal massachusetts real estate council serving savvy property owners lenders and investors more at urbanvillagelegal.com today's conversation was not legal advice but we hope you found it entertaining and informative discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com thank you for listening